Morning, everybody. Hey, uh, thank you guys so much for uh, braving the little bit of snow and the really, really cold weather to come out and worship with us. And uh, um, I talk about them a lot, but man, I love our worship team. They're just, uh, I love the work they put in. And man, did y'all have a good looking drummer this morning. Woo. Just kidding. But uh, um, you're right, I'm not. But uh, thank you guys for coming and worshiping with us. And we're going to get right into it. The last two weeks, we've been talking about the gospel. The gospel is, and we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit just so we can uh, fill in some gaps uh, of things that we were talking about in the, in the last two weeks. And, and uh, so the first one is the first week we talked about the gospel is good news. And we just came from Christmas, which was good news. And, and to all it says in scripture, well, we're going to talk, we talked about the gospel is good news. And Proverbs fifteen twenty says this, it says, light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart. And good news, and good news gives health to bones. And in Proverbs 25, 25, it says this. It says, like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. Man, I tell you, one of the things that I think about the most when I look back on uh, growing up is my first job. I know a lot of people, they, they look back at their first job and, and they just, they, they cringe. Well, I don't cringe because the, I think the first job I ever had, it taught me a lot of life lessons. I was about 10, 11, 12 years old. And we had a farmer that lived down the road. His name was Old Man Edder. And he would hire kids in our neighborhood to bail, our boys in our neighborhood to bail hay for him. And so my first job, I, uh, I bailed hay for about two summers. And it was an easy job. Uh, not, it was an easy job to get there. Uh, we rode our bikes. And uh, I always tell my boys, I tell them all the time, man, I think every teenage boy needs to bail hay one afternoon. It teaches you a lot, you know. It, number one, it teaches you that uh, you, you, you got to have teamwork or it's going to be a long day. But uh, so we rode our bike to, to uh, Old Man Edder's farm and, and was it good work? Yeah, it was good. He was awesome to work for. Uh, and he paid us, you know, the, the minimum for kids that age. But I tell you, the thing that I loved the most was when that tractor pulled up to that barn to put everything in the loft. We knew on that, on that uh, pole, that, that banister that runs across uh, the, the, the uh, barn that we're going into, Mrs. Edder would put us a nice big old container of the sweetest, coldest iced tea you've ever had in your entire life. And I remember, I don't know if we were just thirsty, but that first sip, Mm, it put shivers down your spine. I mean, it was, now it was probably the worst iced tea in the world, but, but to us, it tasted so good. And she'd, she'd leave bags, bagged lunch for us as well. And it just like in scripture, it says the good news, it brings joy to your heart. And the good news, it gives you health to you, your bones. And then it says that it's like cold water to a weary weary person. And that's, that, that's what I want to leave with you about the good news is the good news today, man, is it not refreshing because we get, we get absolutely bombarded with bad news. So that good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, is it not refreshing? I was watching a show a couple nights ago and it was a show that usually has pretty derogatory things in it. And I was flipping channels and I don't know why I stopped on this show because I don't like it, but I stopped and they had a episode that was about belief and about faith. 
and about how this mom and dad told their, their son, you can believe in whatever you want to believe in. And as bad as this show was, this young boy chose to believe in Jesus Christ. And so that was refreshing to watch a show that is usually filled with filth and see them put in a little bit of Jesus in it. And so that's the good news. And, and uh, I don't know why I put this in. I put it in last night. Um, there's a lot of people that are dealing with bad news right now. A lot. There's a scripture I stumbled on last night that I want to leave with you. And it has nothing to do with the sermon we're getting into. But it has a lot to do with me being obedient with God, what he told me to put in here. And that's Romans 8, 18. It says, the pain that you have been feeling cannot compare to the joy that's coming. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means to any of you. But I do know that's what God told me to put in today. And the pain... It is not going to compare to the joy that's coming. So number week two, we talked about the gospel is covering. And we talked last week, I should have planned better. I should have done the gospel is covering today because I wore a lot of layers last week and I was, I was sweating to death. But uh, uh, so we talked about the gospel is covering and we talked about why it covers and it covers your sin through salvation and through repentance. Now, there's two things in life that I think we can all agree are the most comforting and pleasant feelings in the world. Number one, fresh, clean sheets. Yeah, come on. I, I just, we, we will put, it's, it'll be two in the afternoon. We'll put our sheets on. I'll go to bed. I'll, I'll lay in bed and I'll just sniff them, right? Fresh, clean sheets are the, are my, I believe the number one best feeling in the world. Number two is when you grab a warm towel out of that dryer. Woo, I love it because it feels like you just wrapped yourself in, in just, just warmth and it embraces you. That is the same as the gospel covering. That gospel that covers your sin is like a warm blanket. It, it wraps around you and it makes you feel like God wants to make you feel. And so that's what number, week two is about, is about the gospel is covering. And then we talked about how the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ covers it covers you. Now we're going to get into this week. The gospel puts a call in your life. The gospel puts a call in your life. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to be in Mark 1, chapter, or Mark 1, verse 15. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It says that the time is fulfilled. The promises have been fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. If you don't believe that, I really want you to look back at that and believe it. The, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. So the call that God puts on your life is a call to repent. It's a call to repent. And it doesn't say to repent and maybe believe. It doesn't say you need to believe, but maybe repent. Absolutely not. It says you must repent and believe in the gospel. Do you believe in the gospel today? I pray that you do. What is the gospel? We're going to talk about that quite a bit today. What is the gospel? What does it mean to repent? The easiest way to explain it is this, to simply turn around. That's what it means. It's to simply turn from what you're doing, 
Turn away from what, the, what actions you are doing. Repentance means to turn around. When I was writing this song, there is our song. When I was writing this message, there was a song that was in my head the entire time. You could almost guess what it was. Turn around, bright eyes. You know what I'm saying? Turn around. So I don't know why, but I was humming it the entire time. And I'm like, this is not right. This is not right. But that's the only song that would pop into my head. All right. Or ring around the rosy. I don't know why that popped in my head, but maybe because you spin. I don't know. But repentance means to turn around. Now, I'm going to give you guys something today that it's going to launch us into our, our message today, and it's this. It's going to hurt. It's going to step on a lot of people's toes. You cannot expect God to heal you when you are being so loyal to the thing that's hurting you. You cannot expect God to restore you when you are being so loyal to the thing that tore you down. You cannot sit there and pray, God, please let me spend more time with my wife and kids, but you don't change your schedule. You can't sit there and pray, God, I just want to be healthier in 2024, but you don't change your lifestyle. You can't sit there and you can't say, God, I want you to, to, to give me direction in my life and you disobey him or you don't listen to him. You cannot expect God to heal you if you're being so loyal to the very thing that's hurting you. But this is what we do because we sometimes enjoy the thing that's hurting us. Most of the times, the thing that is hurting us, we're comfortable with. Nobody likes to turn around because you have to admit that you're going the wrong way in the first place. And a lot of people don't like that feeling. I'm telling you, I do not like saying I'm lost when I'm driving. I will, I will take us to a different state until I turn around. I have done it. So I just, I don't like to turn around. But if you don't turn around, you can't be upset when you get to a destination you don't want to be at. If you don't turn around and, and, and go the way that God is telling you to go through the gospel of repentance, you cannot be angry when you get to a place that tears you down even further. That's the thing that we do. We, we blame God for not putting the, the things in our life. He puts the things in our life. You're just walking the wrong way. So when we talked about repentance, I, I gave you this last week. I'm going to give you this this week as well. Repentance is not just a simple I'm sorry. I'm sorry is an apology. It is not repentance. I'm sorry is not repentance. Now it's the beginning of it. I'm sorry says that you recognize that you need repentance. So I'm sorry is very important. Don't get me wrong. I'm sorry is super important. I'm sorry is not the end. I'm sorry is the beginning. I'm sorry is saying that I have been in the wrong direction, that I need repentance. I have not been listening to you. I need repentance. I'm sorry starts it, but I'm sorry does not finish it. Repentance starts with a decision to turn around. Not bear, not merge into another lane. It means to turn around. It does not mean to take a vertical route. You have to turn away from the direction you were going. So in the Old Testament, the prophets talk about all the, all the, uh, uh, the turns and the repentance that needs to happen to God's people. And, and I'm going to read a couple of them. The first one's Ezekiel 4, I'm sorry, 14. Verse six, it says, repent, turn away from your idols and renounce 
all your detestable practices. If you don't know what the word detestable is, it's not good. <laughs> detestable means it's something that is damaging. Detestable means something that is wrong and it's not right. And in scripture, it says we need to turn away from the thing that's destroying us. And then later on, the prophets in Isaiah 9, verse 2, it says this, the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Amen. Hallelujah. That a light has dawned in this darkness. If you believe in the gospel, you better believe in that. Because there was darkness, there still is darkness, but you turn away from that darkness, there's going to be a light right in your face. So what, was the, what were the prophets telling us before Jesus got here? Well, they were telling us the time to do that is now. The time to repent and turn away is now. We cannot wait to turn away for another day. We don't want to get our last bit of fun in. You know, I'm that person, yeah, I'm going to eat right on January 1st, 2024. <laughs> Buffets look out on December 31st, 23. Like, I'm going, to, I'm, going to get my, I'm going to get my share in. You cannot do that with repentance. You can't say there and be like, you know, I'm going to have one more night of doing immoral things. Tomorrow, I'll turn, my, I'll turn it around. You can't do that. He tells us, the prophet tells us, right now is the time, right now. And then he also says, your deliverer is here, and that's Jesus Christ. He is here. And he also says, you better change your direction. And then the prophets also say, you need to not just repent, but you better change. You just don't repent. You need to change. And then it says, you also need to come out of the darkness. You cannot repent and stay in the dark. That's not how it works. You can't repent and stay in the darkness. And it says, after you come out of the darkness, you need to seek the light. So the prophets were wise. They were telling us exactly what's going to happen when Jesus arrives and he goes through the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. He says to come out of the darkness and seek the light. Now, there was an, a naval ship many years ago, and uh, um, my, my granddad shared this story. I still don't know if it's true, but for sake of purposes of the whole sermon and tying it together, it's true. Okay. So there was a naval ship, and he, they were patrolling in a very unfamiliar part of the world. And when they were patrolling, they, they came into this big band of fog, the thickest fog that anybody has ever seen. And they could not see an inch in front of the boat. And they, they were in uncharted waters. They didn't know where they were at. They, they were not familiar with the landscape. And so they were, they were going blind. And all of a sudden, a bright beacon of light shines right in their direction, right in front of them. The captain panics and he hops on the radio and he, he said, hey, uh, he's like, captain of the oncoming vessel, we are on collision course. Please change your direction. And a voice comes on the other end of the radio and says, I'm sorry, I cannot change my course. You will have to change your course. And there was a back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the, the, the captain of the destroyer got so mad. And he said, you don't understand. We are a destroyer. We have weapons. We could blow you out of the water. Get out of our way and change your course. A small voice on the other end says, I'm also the keeper of this lighthouse. And I'm telling you, you need to change your course. <laughs> what does that mean? That means when the keeper of the lighthouse tells you you've changed, you better change. 
when the keeper of the lighthouse tells you, you are off course and you are on a collision course, you better move. You better make adjustments. But man, we are like that, that, that boat captain. We're so stubborn. We want to be on the course that we want to be on, on the time we want to be on it. We want to get off course when we want to get off course. And if we choose to get back on course, we want to get back on course, but with our stipulations, right? We do. So why do we need, why do we need to change our course when the keeper of the light tells you to change your course? Number one is this, that lighthouse isn't going anywhere. That lighthouse wasn't going to move even for the loudest, most angry person on the other side of that radio. That lighthouse is not moving. Jesus Christ is not going anywhere. He's not moving. He wants you to change your direction and focus on him. He's not going anywhere. The light that he has and is sharing with us every day will not be put out. So why should we change our direction? Why should we change our course? Because that lighthouse, it's not going anywhere. You're, you're, you're right in front of it. Why else? Because the keeper of that lighthouse knows that landscape way better than you do. Maybe that's why God's trying to get you to change your course and repent because he sees stuff that's coming up that you don't see. Maybe God's trying to tell you to, to turn around and walk away from things that are destroying you because he knows the pain that's right around the corner. The keeper of that lighthouse knows that landscape and that terrain way better than you ever could. And that's why he was telling them to change and to change their direction. The keeper of that lighthouse, their main duty is to keep you safe. That is the same with Jesus Christ. He is the light and he is here to save you. He is not here to hurt you, to harm you, to destroy you. It says that he is here to save you. Just like in the lighthouse, the lighthouse, the main duty of that beacon of light that shines through even the deepest fog is to protect you. Same with God. You know, when, when we, we are in that deepest amount of sin that we can't see out of it, his light will shine through any darkness of sin, any, but we need to listen to that lighthouse. We need to listen to the lighthouse keeper. We need to change our direction. And the last one is this, the keeper of the light. Man, he demands to be listened to. What would have happened if that boat captain wouldn't have been obedient? A lot of bad stuff would have happened. A lot of damage would have been done. A lot of loss of life, that's for sure. The keeper of the lighthouse demands to be listened to, and it's called obedience. Now, when we talk about repentance, a lot of times people think obedience is just a secondary add-on. Absolutely not. When, God, when you, God tells you to turn, you better obey. So that is called the great call of the gospel of repentance. Now, we're going to look at uh, what repentance does. We talked about what repentance is. It means to, to turn around and to follow the light. But what does repentance do? Well, repentance includes great sorrow. Repentance includes sorrow. In scripture, if you read it, there's so many uh, verses in the Old Testament alone that talks about them using the word Nahum. Nahum means to repent. In Genesis 6, the entire world was, was filled with what? With, with sin, so he sent a flood. And the flood took out everybody, but spared Noah and his family. 
There was sorrow there. Exodus 32, it says that uh, God changed his mind about destroying the Israelites after they built the golden calf in the desert to worship it. The same word Nahum is used in the passage. He says you need to repent for, for putting other gods, other idols in front of me. He says you need to repent. 1 Samuel 15, it says Saul drifted so far from God. Do you know what they called him? They called him. A sinner. They called him uh, so many different words. He, he drifted so far from God that God says he was sorry for letting him become the king. The word Nahum was used in that as well. And the last one is in Hosea 11. He expresses his love for people despite their sin. But he does say, he says, you need to repent. You need to walk away. And then he gives them, a, gives them a plan on how to do that. The word, is, the word repent is used by God multiple times in the Old Testament, and rightfully so. And it should be. So let's talk about the two types of sorrow that Scripture tells us about. I've had a lot of people ask you, well, is there any more sorrow? Any other different types of sorrow? Well, there, there, there is, but we're going to talk about the two main ones today that Scripture tells us that we need to, to, to focus on. And that's found in 2 Corinthians 7.10. And God's, I'm sorry, Paul says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. That is a very powerful, very powerful scripture that Paul is telling us. He said there's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. There's godly sorrow that we get from, from reading scripture. There's godly sorrow from, from being wrapped up in the gospel. And, and there's also worldly sorrow when we listen to everybody else around us but the voice of God. Have you guys ever been in a fight with your sibling? I think we all have, right? And when you're little... Your parents bring you together. How many of you, they made you hold hands, right? How many of you had the t-shirt? Like they made you wear the same t-shirt? No, has anyone ever done that? My mom didn't do that. But uh, my mom would always make us hold hands. She'd make us say, I'm sorry. And I remember there was one of my siblings, they were never sorry. I mean, he was like, I'm sorry I punched you in the face. Like, stuff like that, but my sister, man, when she was sorry, that girl was sorry. She's like, I am so sorry. Mom, I disappointed you. And she was sincere. She's like, I will try better. I will try, I will be better. That's the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to a true change of heart. You gotta listen to this. That will last. Godly sorrow will lead to a change of heart that is going to last and stay true. It makes you responsible. Godly sorrow makes you responsible. Godly sorrow makes you or seek true forgiveness. It makes you turn around and never look back. Godly sorrow is the sorrow that will make these lasting changes in your life. Godly sorrow is when you know there is hope even in the darkest moment. That's godly sorrow. That sounds okay, doesn't it? That sounds okay. I, I, I like the godly sorrow, mostly because it says it will lead to a true change of heart that will last. Now, what about worldly sorrow? What about what worldly sorrow tells us? Worldly sorrow usually leads to a change of behavior temporarily. 
Worldly sorrow will lead for you to change your habits, your ways of life for now. Worldly sorrow, worldly sorrow, usually you make it not because you're sorry, but you're sorry you got caught. Worldly sorrow, you're trying to find someone to blame it on. That's worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow that you're sorry, but a very short amount of time, not enough time to make any type of changes in your life. But most importantly, and I do mean most importantly, worldly sorrow means you have not turned around. Worldly sorrow means that you're okay with being where you're at. So let's talk about the first sin in the Bible, and that's Adam and Eve. Was Adam and Eve, did they have godly sorrow or worldly sorrow? That's a great question. We're going to look at it. And when you look at the, the story of Adam and Eve, you know, Adam was in the garden. He was working. And, and, and you guys all know the story. And, and, and Genesis 3.1, a serpent, a creature comes to talk to Eve. And, and I said this a couple months ago. We need to remember when we read the Adam and Eve story from now on that God put the tree of knowledge in the middle of the garden for a reason. Because he knew we have to walk through abundant or walk through what was provided to get what he was trying to protect us from. I shared this a couple months ago. And every time you read Adam and Eve, remember that. That we walk through everything that was provided because we were so jealous of the thing he was trying to protect us from. So that happened. And what happened after Adam and Eve sinned? Scripture tells us that they were ashamed. They were ashamed that they felt like they had to put on garments they suffered the consequences. So was Adam and Eve truly sorry? Or were they earthly sorry? Were they godly sorry or were they worldly? They were both. Initially, it was the worldly sorrow, if you look at your scriptures. They tried to cover themselves up after their sin. They tried to take the fig leaves because they were ashamed and they tried to cover themselves up. That is worldly sorrow because is it not like today in the world that we live in? If you do something wrong, you don't try to fix it. You try to cover it up. That's worldly sorrow is you're not sorry that you did something that wasn't morally correct, but you're sorry because you got caught. Just like Adam and Eve, they tried to cover it up. We try to cover things up. We try to hide stuff deep down inside of us that we think God will never, ever find. That brings us to number two of why initially they were experiencing worldly sorrow. They hid themselves from God when they heard God coming. They were so embarrassed that they tried to hide from God because of the sin they just committed. Man, does that not sound like the world we live in right now that we try to hide from responsibility when we do something wrong? So to repent means you do not hide from God. You run to him and embrace him. But Adam and Eve, they were experiencing the worldly sorrow. They were ashamed, so they wanted to cover themselves. They, they, they wanted to cover up. They, they, were, they were so ashamed, they wanted to hide themselves. And the last one is, they were so ashamed, they wanted to blame everybody else but themselves. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed Adam, Adam or Eve blamed the serpent. It was this blame game that kept on going and going and going. That is worldly sorrow when you refuse to take responsibility and you don't mind playing that blame game. So what Adam and Eve did, they were blaming everybody but themselves. Now, what about when God transformed them into the godly sorrow? 
That happens in Scripture if you read it. He transformed them in, in Genesis 4. This is when things started to change and they turned around. You know, when you look at it, God gave them a hope of a promised redeemer. God told them and showed them that even in your deepest, darkest sin, there's hope. That there's no point of running, turning, or hiding. There's hope. That's godly sorrow. Knowing that there's hope. Now, you need to repent, but knowing that there's hope, that's a, that's a true sign of godly sorrow. The next one is this. They pass their faith along to their children. I know Cain and Abel, they had some issues, and we're going to talk about that in a little, in a little bit. Cain and Abel, yes, they sinned too, but they passed their faith on to their children. Abel was called righteous by Jesus himself. That's found in Matthew 23. He's called righteous by Jesus himself. So when we're looking at godly sorrow, we need to understand, and I'm talking to all of us adults, your decisions now will affect the generations after you. I know that's hard to hear, but the, the impact that you have on the generation coming up is a pretty big one. So should we not, should we not understand and teach our kids instead of running from the problems, instead of hiding from the problems, and instead of blaming the problems that you need to embrace them and you need to seek forgiveness through repentance? And the last one is they influence their generations. Like I said, Genesis 4, 4.26, it says that they started to turn people to the Lord. 4.26, it says people began to call on God and calling him Lord. The godly sorrow will lead to people turning around. Earthly sorrow can do absolutely none of that. Earthly sorrow will never get you to turn around. Earthly sorrow is not good for the generation after us. Earthly sorrow can do all that, and that's what's terrifying. Isaiah 55, 7, it says this. It says, let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man has thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. A call to repentance is essential to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot preach the gospel without talking about repentance. Acts 2.38, it tells us that Peter preached the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he was telling them you need to repent and be baptized. Then he preached again a little bit down the road, and it was in Acts 3.19. And he tells them this. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This call to repent that Peter preached, he was preaching to individuals, and then he was preaching to the masses. And somebody, I had someone ask me, well, why don't they always just preach to to a group of people? Why did they single people out and go and, and preach the gospel to individuals? Well, here's why. Sometimes, sometimes we need an individual one-on-one. -on -one. Sometimes we need them looking right in our face and telling us that we need to turn around because how many of you guys have done this or have seen this when somebody addresses a group about something that's going on and they reprimand you, and they said, things need to change. You walk out of the group, and you're the first one to say, well, they weren't talking about me. Oh, that one hurt. Woo. 
Y'all have done, we've all seen it. We've all experienced it. That sometimes when they address you as a group, you're the first one to be like, no, that's not me. That's not me. Sometimes he reach, he, sometimes we need to individual preaching of the gospel to you face to face, eye to eye, because God wants to get your attention. And God wants you to know, yes, it was you. You are the one that sinned. You are the one that need to repent. And what about corporate? What about when he talks to us as a group? I believe in the Bible, when God preached a sermon on, I'm sorry, when Jesus preached a sermon on the mount, I believe he was talking to everybody in attendance. And here's why. Acts 17.30, it says this. It says, in the past, God overlooked such, such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Don't you listen to me? You are all people. You guys are everywhere. There is no loophole about who needs repentance. You can't sit there when you hear the gospel of repentance preached like, hey, he's not talking about me. Yes, he is. He's also talking about me. He's talking about my family. He's talking about the things. He's talking about the people that we see every day. He is talking about you. Now, repentance does not just mean the drastic turn. Now, that's the big one. Okay, the repentance, the drastic turn that we talked about, that's important. That's, that's, that's the big thing. But what about the small daily corrections that you need to make every day? What about your daily habits? Maybe things that are distracting you, destroying you. Have you changed those yet? I know a lot of people are like, it's so hard to turn around and stay on that path. Absolutely. Have you changed anything in your life? Have you changed the habits? Are you really trying to walk in the Lord while still doing everything in the darkness? It's not going to work. Your daily behavioral changes. You expect joy in your life, but you only speak hate to other people. Not going to work. What about the people you hang out with? Things in your life? You're like, man, they are leading me down such a, such a bad path. Well, don't hang around them. Well, they, I go to these places that I just don't need to go and they, they, they're distracting and they cause me to fall. Don't go there. Change your atmosphere. There is no excuse, none, for us not to repent. None. Not one excuse is good enough. Well, what about this? Well, I just, I just don't believe in prayer. I, I just, scripture just confuses me. Well, that means you need to change your spiritual disciplines. You cannot say that God's not answering my prayers when you don't even pray. You can't say, well, I don't understand scripture. Well, if you only read it once a year, absolutely, you're not going to understand it. Change your spiritual disciplines. Well, I just, I, I don't have joy to share with anybody. Really? We just came from a season that we read a scripture that said the joy is for everybody. That it's good news to who? To all. So today, we need to make those daily habit changes. If that's you, that you have repented, you have turned the other way, man, you have something great in store for you. But you better have made those daily habit changes or you're going to turn right back around as soon as something happens in your life. Nobody, nobody likes talking about repentance. But I want you to listen to this. And I want you to believe this. 
If you don't believe in the repentance, then you don't believe in the gospel. That's tough to say. It's tough to hear. If you do not believe in the repentance, you don't believe in the gospel. So that's what I'm going to leave you with today is what do you believe in? Do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you repented? Have you turned around? Have you changed your daily habits? If you have said no, you cannot be upset when things don't go your way. God, we come to you today and I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the power that's in it. God, I thank you for uh, the, the direction that's in it. Most importantly, man, God, I thank you for the wisdom that is in it. God, my prayer is that anybody here that has not turned around, God, that they right their ship right now. God, that they see that the repentance is for everybody. That repentance is for everybody, even in the darkest nights with the thickest fog, with the, the, the thickest sin, Lord, that your light will shine right through and directly in their direction. God, we need to believe in the gospel. We need to believe that there's repentance. And God, we need to believe that we have to change the way we live. God, I love you in glorious name, amen. Real simple. If you have not made that turn, I'm gonna be right down. I love to pray with you. Love to pray with you. And it says repentance is asking for forgiveness and changing your ways and, and going into baptism. That's what scripture says. Maybe, that's, maybe you have turned and you've got great things to come. Don't you wanna protect that? Don't you want to, to protect the things that you have been building through Jesus Christ? You need to change the way you live. Change your daily habits. Guys, I know great things are to come. But if for that to happen, we need to make some changes. Amen. Let's stand.